Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. From the Apostrophe Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. You're surviving life with Les Stroud. In part one of my conversation with rock special effects wizard Doug Adams, we heard of his darker and potentially wayward background in the northeast corners of Toronto, Canada. But now we move into the development of his legacy as a special effects inventor. He took his artistic and creative energies and focused them on doing things on stages around the world no one else had ever done. Mistakes are made, people are injured, and maybe even one rock star gets his ego split in two. A reminder here that these podcasts were recorded before the pandemic, when the music industry was still riding high with live productions. And a side comment here that this industry was the first industry to be shut down, and it will be the last industry to fire up again after we get past this pandemic. That means there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people out of work right now. People who have brought millions of us great joy in live entertainment. We sat out on his deck overlooking the beautiful Georgian Bay and halfway through a heavy rain falls. So you may hear that in the background. I need to slip in my disclaimer on this one. Yep, it comes with the warning of expletives. Lots of them. F-bombs, and mother F-bombs, and very politically incorrect language while explaining a story. So please, if bad language offends you, uh, go listen to the CBC or in the States NPR. I'm sure Terry Gross has something really interesting on fresh air. I'm not kidding, actually. She probably does. I love listening to Terry. I can't make apologies for the expletives, but I can warn you that this conversation contains them. These are the words of Doug Adams. Uh, to do it live, and I know what they're doing with the Ronnie James Dio and they're going to do with all these other things that's coming up. It's a screen. It's a screen that's on an angle. It's shot from underneath. It's not a hologram. Mm-hmm. It's just projection cleverly done. What is life about anyway? She can't live it on her own. But you get the energy from the audience, not just with the band, but when you do that pyrotechnic that, and enter Sandman and boom, the place lights up, they ignite, the audience screams. I mean, you get that energy and the band gets the energy and they they feed off the And you two. know you're and, part of it. And I know I'm a part of that. And it felt great. These 
these acts that you're naming on a Canadian scale are actually quite big. You know, Triumph. Yeah. And Platinum Launch was huge at their time. Yeah. Honeymoon Suite was... was yeah. And Honeymoon they Suite all had actually, their hits. Yeah, and some of them went a little bit international. Yeah, Glass uh, Tiger, yeah. Glass Tiger. Yeah. Here's Alan Frew. Yeah, here's a weird one. Grants Pass, Oregon is a pocket in the United States that loves Glass Tiger. You can go into stores and glass that, oh, we love those boys. They come down here and play for some reason. It's just this weird little pocket. If Alan is listening, he could come down to Grants Pass and fill the stadium because for some reason, this is weird town in Southern Oregon and they all love Glass Tiger there. For Pyrotech, these bands in my world as a Canadian, I'm to me, that those are big bands. But what would be, if you had one, what would be the first really big break for Pirate Trek? Well, again, it came through a Canadian band. After Triumph, I, I guess it was, we were showing that we could do some serious chops. And I met Howard Ungerleiter. Uh, he hired us to do Searchlights, actually. I had one of his shows with um, uh, Supertramp. Mm. So I got to know him then and talk. And I told him about, you know, the special effects thing that I've got going, his pyro thing. And uh, he says, well, you know, I do Rush. And uh, I, we were always looking for something new. Why don't you set up a demo for us in, in a warehouse? I'll get the band to come by and, and we'll take a look. I went, okay, hmm. for sure. So yeah, I, I did. Rush is big. At this Rush time. was Rush was huge. Were, I mean, I I listened to Rush in high school. I mean, sure. I, I idolized Rush. I thought they were phenomenal. Every guy did back then. So I'm thinking, really, I'm going to get to audition for Rush. This is very cool. So I set up a demo. I just wired the warehouse for everything. I mean, all kinds of stuff was exploding everywhere. And, uh, <laughs> You know, I, I didn't do it to music. I wanted to do it to music, but we didn't. We, so we just did everything. Show. But you explained that you exp- can do it to exactly. music. Exactly. Yeah. And I kind of explained that the songs where I think that this could work in and if you guys were here and there and this is going to happen. And they loved it. They, they really did. And they just let me go carte blanche, design whatever I wanted. They gave me a number and I could just design anything around it. And that was my first big tour. But they, that I really started touring the world. Yeah. It was my first world tour. Now you're thinking about everything from customs gates you have to pass through to the load and the shipping and what you bring on the flight and permits, regulations, yeah, yeah, all that stuff. That's a big world to navigate all of a sudden. It was, and I mean, it was an honor to be given that from them. I mean, to to trust me enough to do that. And it it was the thing that really put me at that place that I'm going, fuck, I can do this. Yeah. You know, I, I can get to this next level because there was about three other pyro companies, big ones in the world that were out there. And I knew of them and I'm thinking, oh man, I'm never going to be like that. I'm never going to be that big. And I'm never going to be able to do all those shows. But as soon as I got into Rush and I did Rush and a lot of people came out, a lot of stars because there's a lot of people that like Rush. That's Rush. Yeah. If, yeah. Well, that was one thing I was shocked because I knew Rush. I was Canadian, we you know we see them at uh, Maple Leaf Gardens all the time. We know that's a sellout, but they can they can't sell out all over the world. I mean, mm-hmm. there wasn't a place that we didn't go to that wasn't completely sold out anywhere in the world. Yeah. There was so much of a fan base that they had; they were massive, and I didn't realize they were that big. Did you ever see the documentary Beyond the Lighted Stage? Yes, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean that that it's a great documentary because it sort of serves to show the unknowing, just how influential Rush was. To me, sorry, we'll go on Rush for a little bit here because it's fun to, I mean, to me, Rush represents level two of progressive rock. Yeah. Because we had Yes and Genesis mm-hmm. and Pink Floyd, King Crimson and, and all of that. And then the next level was Rush. Rush defined what progressive rock was going to be through, you know, when those bands started to fade. Mm-hmm. And so many musicians 
in that documentary film, for example, over and over and over again, big musicians going, are you kidding? Yeah. It's Rush. It's exactly it, yeah. With, with of course, Gene Simmons going, what kind of music is Rush? It's Rush. So on the same, you've got, you're on the road with Rush now. Yeah. Give me a, give me so a- So people were coming out. So there's like rock stars coming out to see them so that they'd see what I was doing and they're going, hey, I want this in my show. I got a call from the Colts designer, okay. Guns N' Roses designer, like way, way, way back then in the very beginning. And uh, well, you're into the late '80s now, then, yeah. right? '86, '87, '88, yeah. '89. And they started calling me and saying, "Hey, listen." And they were one-off shows. We're coming through Toronto. We're going to do the Sky Dome. This was the Cult at that time, um, and their Cult was doing the Sky Dome, believe it or not. And they wanted to add some some pyro. So they they called me from England saying, "Hey, listen, we're going to be there next week. Uh, these are the songs we want to do. Come up with something." And hmm. then I would show up unrehearsed and just blow it up to let them know though, this is gonna blow off at this time in yeah. the song. No rehearsals, first time doing it live. When you were just in that nugget of, of a place and you're, you're about to work with Rush, what are you doing differently? What set you apart from the three or four other big contenders? I was making my own stuff. So I was making my own equipment. I was making my own pyro product. So I would take apart things like, you know, whether it's a fireworks sparkler or a fireworks uh, Roman candle, whatever it is, and take pieces out of it and mix it with other copper oxides and another different types of nitrocellulose and to make things burn. And I, I was seeing what was combustible and what was long burn and what was colors and everything else. And I was making them, as I said, in these little airburst pouches and I was stringing them from trusses above. So it looked like a fireworks display before they had all that shit. Any close calls um, in, in building them? Or yeah. Like, were you oh, like, whoa. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because it was trial and error with some of it. It was hard to test a lot of the stuff out because I never had arenas to test the stuff out in. Mm -hmm. So I'd have to take it outside or I'd have to take it in a smaller venue and try to figure it out. And there's not going to be permits for you to even do this. There you're was just, no, you're just doing there was no permits back no, no, then. No. no, it was very, very loosey-goosey. Safety has always been very, very important to me with everything that I've done. And I've always had the utmost respect for pyrotechnics and special effects. On my way up, I got to work with a few other people. I got to work with fireworks companies. I, like I hired myself out. I'll coil the cables, I'll push the cases, I'll do whatever um, to learn. And I worked with a guy in the movie industry, Brock Jolliffe. He taught me a ton. He taught me a ton of safety. He taught me a ton of tricks to do here, you know, with wiring and stuff. And it was... That him that really got me to that next level of being a professional. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I brought that into live entertainment. So doing live tours, those few other companies, one was called Pyro Pack. They had their own system, their own materials, and they were very boring with their stuff. They didn't think outside the box. I was, like, as I said, I was making my own shit up. So mm -hmm. people are going, wow, how can I get that? Well, you can't because we're making it up. Mm -hmm. Now that alone is very, very time consuming because- those guys, when they're on tour with the other company, everything's prepackaged for them. It's done. We have to make it mm. the morning of. So I remember when I was on tour with Rush, I had um, Reed out with me. And the same thing with Metallica. Even back then, we, there wasn't enough materials to prepackage. So we were making everything in the morning. We would unload the truck and we'd go back into the truck. First two hours of the day was making our product. Mm. First two or three hours before we could do anything. Yeah. And anyway. the big boys don't have time for that. No, no, they don't. You know, but uh, it, it was uh, getting to that point where I was making new stuff. I, I really enjoyed creating. Yeah. It sounds, was it a, some kind of a, 
a wave, like a watershed of, of bands then when, when the Rush word got out? Is that, is that how that, yes. is, at this point you're starting to rack up? Yeah, after Rush was Metallica I, oh, wow. and Pink Floyd. I mean, they were all calling me. So, I mean, I'm going, Pink Floyd, Metallica? Like, what? Biggest bands in the world. Biggest bands in the world, yeah. Uh, Kiss. Yeah. Uh, I had them all at the same time, all of a sudden, in one year. So, it was like the following year after Rush. It was just an overload. So, now I've got to bring people in, try to hire people that I know that have worked in the industry. I need help. You're calling in friends at this point. Calling in friends, teaching people that have no clue whatsoever about special effects and training them to get out in a show and trying to get them a license. Uh, at the, the time, there was only like one license. It was Energy Minds and Resources uh, out in Ottawa. They had to do it. And, huh. and, and I think John Hendrick was number one and I was number two yeah. on the license back huh. then. And John Hendrick created, and he was the fire department yeah. <laughs> for it back then. So he's since passed on, who's, but he's a great guy. He's, and he started the whole alliance, mm -hmm. Energy Minds and Resources and uh, Special Effects Safety. Off the top of your head, rip through the ax. So we got Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd, Paul McCartney, um, Kiss, Bon Jovi, Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears, Lady Gaga, uh, Metallica. Chris Brown. Chris Brown. Jay-Z. Yeah, Jay-Z. Justin Timberlake, I think. Yeah, I, uh, um, I got Post Malone now, Rolling Stones. Well, let's, let's stop with Guns Paul. Guns N' Roses. <laughs> Let, let's stop with Paul. Yeah, okay. Sir Paul. Tell, yeah. Me how, tell me how Paul came about. Paul came about from me working with Metallica, the same production manager, got hired to do Paul McCartney. So Paul, this was, we're talking like almost 20 years ago. And uh, Paul wanted to do something for Live and Let Die. He always had something. So there's another company previous to me that worked with Paul McCartney. So they said, listen, we'd like to work with you, come up with something creative. This is the song, Live and Let Die. That's pretty much it. That's all he wants to do. No special effects and anything else, but Live and Let Die. And I went, really, that's it? I said, okay, but it's the whole song. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of stuff in it, which was cool. So I did that. But then Paul, he wanted to do something different. Uh, the record that he had coming out that year was, uh, the single was Follow Me. The, the management saying, you know, what, what do you think you can do? And I go, well, I don't know. Like, what does he want? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm listening to his songs and I don't, didn't feel it. I wasn't hearing the, you know, boom, that accent. It's not like live and let die. The music wasn't like that. It was a little more earthy, organic. And I'm thinking, okay. And I really couldn't feel anything. So then Paul, he just had an acoustic and he came out front of house and he was talking to the production manager. And he said, I goes, I want to talk to your special effects guy. And, and he goes, this is Doug. And Paul was very, not very gentleman-like and, introduced himself and he goes, you know, Dougie, I got, I got this idea. He goes, um, why don't I play a couple of, a couple of licks and you tell me, you know, what comes to mind or what you can see for, for these songs. These are the new songs that I want to do in the set and I want to focus in on. And one was Follow Me. So as soon as I heard the chorus of Follow Me, I went, oh, waterfall. It was always like three-tiered, uh, follow me, follow me, follow me. And then it went on and then it did, follow me, follow me. So every time they did the follow me, I would drop fingers, uh, single fingers of this gerb waterfall coming down in these strands. Then we said the next follow me, it would fill into the next strings and then the next strings till it was a complete full waterfall. Then as he did the next follow me's, one set of strings would go out. Then the next set of strings would go out till it all out. faded out that way. Yeah. And it worked perfect because there were six of them yeah. every time. And he went, Dougie, that's, that's, a, that's beautiful. That's amazing. So we did that. And so- uh, 
What did it feel like to be sitting there with Paul McCartney with an acoustic guitar in his hand? Very surreal. Very, very surreal. We just like, just sat down in two folding chairs out there and just strummed through a few chords and it didn't take long. I was like maybe 15 minutes. Asked me a couple of questions, you know, what do you like to do? And, you know, I said, well, I I like fishing. I like boating. Oh, I like boating. And starts talking to me about stuff. I don't think you've missed these moments. I, I know in my situation, thanks to Survivor Man, I've been, you know, so, so fortunate to meet certain people. And when that happens, I allow myself to be 16 years old again. And I allow myself to think inside, okay, I'm standing on stage with Robbie Krieger and we're about to pass a solo back and forth on Roadhouse Blues. Like, holy crap. So have you had that over the years where, because I know you're you're all business and I know you're all creative, but at some point do you stop and go, I'm on tour with Metallica right now. Yeah. And there's 60,000 people out there. And like, do you have moments where you just go, uh, I do. I'm, I'm, yeah. Yeah. I, and I had a couple of moments like that with, with Metallica. And one was when I did Woodstock and I did Lollapalooza. And, you know, we did them all in a row and, and Donington and everything. And it was just massive audiences, anywhere from 100,000 to 300,000 people. And it was incredible. And, and yeah, because I'm right on stage with them. So I have to be as close to them as possible, line of sight close to everything, safety, safety, safety. So I'm literally standing on stage looking out at the audience and the audience can look at me. I'm just in the corner, you know, I'm not completely hidden. I'm just right there. But you get the energy from the audience, not just with the band, but when you do that pyrotechnic, then enter Sandman and boom, the place lights up, they ignite, the audience screams. I mean, you get that energy and the band gets the energy and they they feed off the And you know you're part of it. And I know I'm a part of that. And it felt great. But being around them was also very cool. Michael Jackson was the only other time that other than Paul McCartney, that I was probably really nervous meeting somebody. And that was going to be for the big, this is it this tour. Is it so tour, tell me yeah. a bit about that. Yeah, that was the only other time. Um, again, I was told, you don't look at him, don't address him, don't put your hand out to shake his hand, all this other stuff, all these rules. And so it was like, how am I going to talk to this guy? So again, going through different people, I was asked to come and audition again for him at uh, Sony Studios in LA and set up something. And I had every every bell and whistle under the sun there to show him. And after I did the whole demo, he was like, ooh, he was like, ooh, that's cool, that's great, that's great. Oh, he wanted to meet me, right? And he goes, oh, you're so good, you're so creative, oh, I love it. And he gave, he gave me a hug. He grabbed me. Michael and ga- Jackson. Michael gave Jackson you a hug. Great, gave me a hug. And I was like, I was kind of tense because I'm thinking, fuck, am I supposed to touch him? Like, what the uh, fuck? Yeah. Right. And he was so, oh, oh, peace, love. You know, everything was very, very spiritual and very positive. And uh, it was that energy around him. Michael Jackson has that energy for sure. Yeah. He ha- he's just that character all the time. He's always Michael Jackson. It's the real deal. It's yeah. the real deal. Yeah. With McCartney, he's. He's Paul McCartney on stage, but he's a different Paul McCartney when he's off stage. He's just very easygoing. He's he is, eh? He's very he's very cool. Very very very. That cool. that is nice to hear because you know I've never met him in person. So, but you see a lot of interview type stuff, and you think, is he always on? Is he always campy? So that's good to hear. Yes, you know, yeah, pretty much. And he he always likes to crack a joke. Yeah. You know, he likes to try to put one on you and you know test you and yeah. make sure you finish your sentence. What, really? Yes, I've got into that a couple of times and I kind of just got nervous talking to him and I almost, I didn't stutter, but I stopped. And he goes, finish your sentence. That's great. Yeah. It's very and, British. And I, and I did, yeah. It's very British. <laughs> okay, it was like the schoolmaster. It was, it was interesting. Isn't that interesting? 
So I'm glad to hear that because I'm, I know I've done that myself. And where, where you kind of just stall. Well, you know, like I, in, in you the- think t- You think you get your point across already so you don't have to finish it, but no, he wants to hear the end. Right, well, and no, but I'm saying I've been in the, in the Paul McCartney side, in the film industry, if I'm working with somebody, especially if they're more big Survivor Man fans or something, not that I'm putting myself anywhere near that level of Paul, but I remember people being nervous talking to me about filmmaking and, and I was just like, no, no, go ahead, finish. Yeah. You know, don't, don't trail off. You, you were talking and yes, I am listening. I would be remiss if I didn't ask this. This is still a dangerous thing that you're doing. Close calls, dangerous things that got that scared you. Well, there's been a few. There's been a few. I, I got burnt once in the movie set uh, on my hand very, very badly. That was the first time I felt that kind of pain. You know, your your skin melting, mm. um, and it was agonizing. I, and I couldn't imagine anybody else going through it. And I witnessed a couple of bad accidents. We had one one time in a place that I had when I was very early on and I built a bunker in the back of my house, which was totally legal and everything was permitted. Somebody was packaging up some nitrocellulose flame powder to ship overseas. And because we had a deal and it was all done properly, but the guy that was packaging it was training somebody else to take over for him. A client came in and the guy who was originally packaging it says to the apprentice, say, hey, here, you finish this. I'm gonna go talk to the client. Well, what he didn't tell him is when you put the bag into the heat sealer, you're supposed to wipe the lip of it clean. So there's no granulars, there's no residual, there's nothing. It's because it's a heat sealer. So he didn't do that. So there was, there was granulars, there was residual in, on the inside of the lip. And sure enough, as soon as he put that five pound bag of nitrocellulose into the heat sealer, it exploded on him. Oh. So it blew him up and caught him on fire. The 10 bags that were sitting beside him, caught on fire, exploded, burnt the uh, other guy, the, the main guy, and burnt the client. Sure. So it was a bad scene. And, and, I, and I witnessed all that firsthand and I saw them running out because I was in the office in the house and I heard screaming and I, I see smoke and I see everything you know, running out and they're rolling on the ground and I'm going, holy shit. Went out and sure enough, their skin looked like it just got unzipped and was just hanging down of their bodies. So three quarters of their bodies were all burnt. Uh, it was a bad scene. So how does this come into play with the bands? Well, with the bands, that's a whole different thing. That was okay. a packaging thing. That's it, not, yeah, that's no, that's not what a live saying. performance. With bands, it's uh, proximity, safety. Um, so I know you're very hard on, it's almost like that. Are you looking at me? Do you hear what I'm saying? You need to be standing here correct. during the chorus. You, that's right. How does that that's play tough. Out? That's a tough one. I mean, I've run into a lot of situations. Who are, you're just yeah. a special effects now, guy. Now, dealing with somebody like Metallica, they take it very serious and uh, they respect it. Rush, I mean, all those bands, they, they really did. It's more in when I was doing the award shows, the one-offs or the hip-hop things. Mm-hmm. And they, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're not paying attention. One case I can tell you is when I did U2. Now, it's not pyro. This was cryogenics. But it was the same type of thing as what you said, uh, talking to the artist and the artist wasn't paying attention. And it was a Bono. So- oh, Sorry, first, what's cryo, cryo- Cryogenics is like a liquid CO2. So it almost looks like a fire extinguisher okay. look. So basically to, to make it simple, they wanted to have this spaceship lighting rig and truss looks like it's lifting off the ground, right? Then the band walks out underneath it and it looks like it's lifting off. So basically it's like a dozen fire extinguishers shooting down to make it look like it's liftoff, yeah. right? It's a little more elaborate than that, but that's the look, general look. So I had these cryogenic jets, had it all hosed up and it's, all, it's high pressure. It's like 500 PSI shooting out and it's you know a lot of cold steam and bill, billowing cloud, and, but it's forceful air. So 
what I did is I had the arrows on the stage and I marked where they're supposed to stand, the arrows, which way to go. Walk in between the columns of cryogenics. Don't walk underneath it. And there were specific lines. So did a dress rehearsal with the band the day of the show. The only, I didn't get to rehearse with them at all We prior to that. So it's the day of, you do a, a dress rehearsal, then the show that night. It's the nature of award shows. Exactly. So with a lot of them, you get to do a day before, but with the big acts, they don't want to be there. They'll do a stand-in or whatever. So it doesn't help me explaining everything. So the management says, okay, there you go, Dougie. Go, go ahead, talk to the guys. And I'm like, okay. So I'm talking to them. They're walking around the stage, looking at their amps, looking at their drums, looking at their stuff. So I'm trying to, I had to get them individually. I couldn't do them all at the same time. Boom, they scattered like cats. So then I'm following them one at a time. Went to Edge, uh, went to Larry, went, you know, went to the drummer. Uh, and then they're all listening. The drummer, no problems because he's staying in the same spot. But the bass player and, and Edge, Edge says, walk it with me. So I walked it with them. He walked it with me straight through the lines. Got it. Thanks. Bass player, same thing. He doesn't move anyways. So he was all, he was all fine. But Bono, he just was looking up and he was not paying attention to anything I'm saying. And the manager's following me behind because he stays close to Bono. And I'm looking, I'm going, I don't think he's listening to me. And he goes, well, just say it again. Make sure he, hear, he hears you. So I said, I said, so Bono, I said, you really need to follow these lines, these arrows here and stand on the X. Yeah, 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 I got it. He wasn't even looking. He just said, yeah, 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 blew me off. And the manager goes, it's okay, it's okay. It's, you know what, he's got it, he's fine. And I went, okay, but I'm telling you right now. So he said, no, no, it's fine. Fortunately, this was the dress rehearsal. So they're all, but it's full costume, full, full dress, right? Well, exactly what they're gonna wear that night. So Bono's hair is pretty thin. A lot of people may not know this, but there's a lot of spray, this black stuff that goes in there, right? And tweezing it and everything else. So he's looking perfect because they also shoot the dress rehearsal, as you know, in case there's some just problems, in just in case, right? And, uh, and that's come in handy in the past. So sure enough, dress rehearsal goes, the cue happens, the cryogenic jets are shooting down, Edge walks uh, right through the proper spot, the bass player walks to the proper spot, Bono walks right underneath one, straight under. We can see him, I can see him. You know, I can't yell to him, hey, don't go. I mean, he's walking straight forward. I'm going, what the fuck? Sure enough, so he walks underneath the cryogenic jet, parts his hair with that high pressure CO2, and it takes all the black out. Ah. The whole center, like a stripe, and I'm talking about a six inch wide stripe in the center of his head, and it's white now, and it's black on both sides because his hair parted, and it's just white and it took all the dye out. He lost it, threw his microphone down, freaked out. He said, what the fuck is this fire extinguisher fucking thing? Because he did not pay attention right. at all. So I'm thinking, oh man, I'm, I'm fired. I'm yeah. done from this gig, right? At least that act in the Grammys. Sure enough, the management said, it's not your fault. We, we totally saw everything. No worries, but it's cut. <laughs> but <laughs> it's but cut. you're gone just you're the gone. same. You're yeah. gone just the same. It's cut. Because it's, it's not going to be- yeah. It's not going to be his fault. That's right. Yeah. It's not going to be his fault. I became successful on a global level by creating Survivor Man and essentially survival TV, even though what I really wanted to be was an artist and certainly a songwriter. And so if you're paying attention, you can pick up on the influence of those inner desires throughout my work over the years. Doug Adams, too, I think, ended up carrying out the same process in his professional life by leaning on his musical creativity and inner artistic strengths to become hugely successful in live stage special effects. 
Where he and I intersected professionally is still in play with the Mother Earth Live Stage Project, but we also found a most wonderful opportunity to work together in the field of art closest to our hearts, music. And so it was that Doug, with his friend Mike Gillies, produced my album Off the Grid, also titled Barn Sessions 4. From that album, and I think this might be Doug's favorite song, and I think possibly the one he had the most say in production-wise, is the original version of my song, Wasted. Recorded live off the floor, which means no overdubs of any sort. Just all the musicians in one room all together. And this room happened to be my off-the-grid compound in Northern Ontario. All of us camping, dining, hanging by the fire, and making music. This is from my fourth album, under the name of Les Stroud and the Campfire Kings, Barn Sessions 4, Off the Grid. Boy, that's a long album title. This is the one-word titled song, Wasted. Three, four. Hey! 
started yesterday Of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're surviving life with Les Stroud.
you've invented so much. And in my time hanging out with you, I mean, I got to be with you while you were inventing the, uh, the water. Yeah, the water thing. screen, aqua visual. I remember you telling me about it before you'd even started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You were saying, I got, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the, and you said, I'm looking at or thinking about, when well, we're looking at or thinking about a dot matrix printer. Mm-hmm. And you started thinking, well, wait a minute. If I can if do I, shapes with a I dot could, matrix. Yeah, if I can invert that, or yeah. I think you said, if I could it, turn right. it on its side yeah. and just let the- The, the, the gravity, the water it, gravity, yeah. and then do pockets and, and you know have the solenoids clicking when you need to and program yeah. it that way. If you can do shapes- with a printer and it can print out, why can't you do it with water dropping down? So yeah. I had a, Danny Tom was a, a very, very smart guy that could write the code for that. So wow. it was just one of those things. That, and I came up with a few of those ideas. I keep a notepad beside my bed and I wake up with these crazy ideas and I write it out and I sketch it out and I write it out really? because I'll never remember it in the morning. To I this try, day? To this day, I still do it. Yeah. And that was one of them. And I came, I have the whole principle of how this can work. And then I brought it to Danny. I said, can this work this way? And he's going, it's possible. Let me think. Let me see if I can do it. And sure enough, he came up with the code and we worked out this water screen and p- pieced it all together. And uh, it it made the shapes we wanted to do. It was, I've seen, I'm, well, you yeah, showed them to me. Yeah, and exactly. it, 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 I remember cool. seeing dolphins. Because yeah. well, with, with our project, Mother Earth, mm-hmm. that was the idea there was there would be messaging, environmental messaging, like pictures of dolphins and whales that would come through. And of course, then you and I went on to discuss things like volcanoes in the yeah. state and stuff <laughs> like that, which is a whole, a whole other thing. I got the privilege and the pleasure of standing beside you at Metallica. You had said something to me that I always remembered. You talked about the fact that, don't talk to me on this song. And it was because that's you saying that to me. Don't talk to me on this song. I've got to, I got to do this thing. And you did everything in timing and you were playing the special effects like a, a musician plays an instrument. Is that you or is that widespread in the industry or is that just one of those specialty things? That, Cause that sounds like something you've carried forward from the first days of when you first were with Pyrotech in the early days right through, but now it's just massive. You're, you're playing live. Yeah, like you're the exactly band. right. It, it is all about timing. And that was one of the things that Metallica liked. Cause again, they had pyro companies previously to me and pyro shooters. And when I came on board and Metallica's music is so precise and there's pushes and there's accents and there's everything like that. And if you don't nail it, it's, it just, you look stupid. It sound it looks out of place. So when I first came on board with them, that was one first thing that Lars said to me, the first show he goes, man, you fucking nailed it. I don't know how you got all those cues, but you got them. It's like you anticipate it. And that's what I do. I anticipate it. Mm-hmm. I, I know it's coming up so I can hit it on like a hair ahead, actually. Because if you hit it on time, you're going to be late. Mm-hmm. So you have to hit it ahead in, in special effects because there's like, it's like that, that just one millisecond off. I don't think people appreciate that in the end, maybe we can say this loosely, but in the end, you are a member of the band when you're doing this, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, you're certainly a member of the band when it comes to the presentation the show. Uh, I've done that with, uh, um, in my show, I'll do big screens uh, for Arctic Mistress. But my video guy, he gets paid the same as the band. He he gets (laughs) hotel rooms like the band because I always tell people, no, you want the video portion of my show? Then I need to bring Chris and he needs to be treated like a band member because that is those screens, those features are big. And I, you know what? I actually argue with a lot of lighting guys. uh, Say, look, when Arctic Mistress is on the screen, the band including myself, don't matter. It's the lead singer now. So bring the lights off completely. And they can't, they have a hard time. What, what yeah. do you mean off completely? No, off completely. No, I think I recall, I did lights for you one time at the Hard Rock in, in Vegas. And I think I 
put just slight lighting on you ever so that slight? That was a change because of you. Because ever since, and I was going to get to that, because ever since then, the only thing that changes is you can light me a little. Yeah. <laughs> and I did, and yeah, I got yeah. shit for it. Oh, well, but <laughs> that, and now I do it. And now I do it. Because it does make sense. You yeah. want to sure, highlight less yeah, a little bit. Yeah, exactly. But, but it, it's, again, you know, you playing the, the special effects like mm. you're playing an instrument. Yeah. And I don't think people realize no, there, that. There's not a lot of people that could do that back then. So that's, that also got around because the timing and, and it's crucial. There's been a lot of good shooters out there that don't have good timing. So that that's bad. Well, you, yeah, I mean, and you've probably even had operators working for you. Yeah. And the whole point is you're a musician first, right? Yeah, I made a point of hiring musicians for the longest time uh, for to be to train to be the next pyrotechnician, the, the next the next shooter. Fortunately, now there's there's Pro Tools, there's Time Code, there you know there's there's Simpty, there's everything. That, so you can program it. I can I could hit all the cues and it teach me. On uh, in a timeline, and then it goes to the music, and then you just you're a dead man switch now. You just have to hit one button, and it'll follow all your cues that you hit previously, but night then, after night. But then the band's got to be it's on click. It's on click. click. Everything's got to be perfect every night, and then everything's on click click track. Then yeah. everything. So there's a, there's a bunch of that that's out there now, which which makes it easier to send out some operators that are not mu musicians and musically inclined. Yeah, I definitely try to find musicians yeah. in this, this field. What do you think is, is well, two questions really. One is what, what do you think is next for you? And I'd love to hear about your new company. And then secondly, what do you think is next for the industry as a whole of special effects and rock and roll? Well, everybody's really been trying to hone in on this holography. And Holo oh, holography, ho holographic images. Yeah. Are you doing that? Yeah, I'm doing it. And so are a lot of people doing it. It's not a feature what we do because it's just something that we would add as an accent. There's different screens, there's different ways to do it, but it's still not a true hologram. They really aren't. I mean, not like, like a true hologram, you're never going to get anything bigger than, uh, you know, at most the size of a human being, but it's, it's encased into, you know, something that's a four by four box. Uh, to do it live, and I know what they're doing with the Ronnie James Dio and they're going to do with all these other things that's coming up. It's a screen. It's a screen that's on an angle. It's shot from underneath. It's not a hologram. Mm. It's just projection cleverly done. And that's what it is. Mm. So I, I think that that, getting to that next level, and I've had some ideas uh, of how to do it. And again, approached Danny Tom, my friend, to, who writes the code to come up with some of these ideas. And he thinks that he's, well, I've, we've got two ways to do it, which of course I can't say because it hasn't happened yet. But, sure, yeah. but you know, that's something that we're working on as well. New with me, I'm creating all kinds of new fire effects, a new fire screen that I just created, uh, which I have on Post Malone right now. And I actually designed it for TSO, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, but Post Malone has it, which it's pretty heavy duty. Uh, another thing called a Phoenix, which is an automated flamethrower uh, that can do shapes again. Uh, I want to get to making shapes in fire. And that's what I want to get to. I want to start creating shapes in fire and adding color to it. I've already got the color thing down. Now it's getting to the proper shapes. Like you did shapes in water. Exactly. Wow. So it's, it's high pressure solenoids going the opposite way. So you have to shoot it up and you have to know its dissipation and how far to throw it and how quick to pulse it in these different areas to create the shapes and the circles. And I would imagine this is a great era to be involved in this. Like, versus <laughs> the early days were fun, but you know, hands and in, in, in getting dirty and all of that and hoping not to get burned. But the era now of technology has got to be strong. Absolutely. The computer age has really helped us as far as uh, technology and, and creating things and making things 
automate with other things that you never thought could work together. So, they, so now you can mesh things together. It's not just one at a time. Are you it's, feeling jazzed again about? Yeah, I very much am. Yeah. So I've got this new company, Image SFX. Uh, I sold Pyrotech and I had a little bit of a, a break that I wasn't allowed to work for some time, which kind of- Competition. Competition, thing, yeah. yeah, clause, yeah. You know, I understand. But, you know, I was hired on as a consultant and as an designer too, and I was supposed to be continued on for that, but that kind of fell through. So the last three years I was kind of stifled and not allowed to do anything, but I had all these things in my head. I have these ideas and that will never go away. So long story short, I got bored. I was doing music. I was in the studio working with you, working with different people, but it Whoa, wasn't you enough. You got bored working with me? Is that what no, you're saying? No, it just wasn't <laughs> enough because it came never, out. I just want to say. No, no, I, no, no I got no, bored I and I got, I was doing the music, but then. You were, your hands were off of special effects. Yeah, I mean, they're completely off Other than our Mother Earth show, which you were having fun with. Yeah. And hopefully there's still a future there with oh, that sure. as, things, as, as I launched the album. But yeah, as I say, yes, you had that three year sort of little dip, but now it seems like you're on fire again. I am on fire. I really am. I got a great team, great partners. The clients, as soon as I announced it, we announced it like less than two years ago, we have not made one phone call to anybody. They've, they've all called us up, every single client. And it's an honor and it's, it's great to be working with them. I mean, we don't advertise, we don't do anything like that. We're just picking and choosing our clients and I'm being really creative with them. No two shows are the same. Mm. And they love that. That is great. No, yeah. rock bands don't want consistency. They, no. I suppose I suppose the amateurs might say, make me look like Taylor Swift, but most of them don't want that. They want their own special. And I'll just point out for those who are listening, the crazy sound that's coming as we're getting a downpour, classic Georgian Bay yeah. thunderstorm coming in. I'll let you go, but I, before I let you go, I want I just sort of classic kind of quick question. First question is worst situation, worst band, worst artist. Uh, and I don't mean them personally. I just mean wow, I can't believe I got through that or I don't ever want to do that again. Sort of. Yeah, situation. Fred Durst, Limp Bizkit. Okay, what, what's, yeah. what happened there? Um, he was just, the, the tour was called Anger Management. The <laughs> album was Anger Management for a reason. Oh boy. He was the most angry little boy I've ever seen in my life. And he just w was like that with everybody all the time. You could do no right. He was never happy. Nothing was good. So I did this huge, giant, elaborate pyro display for him with some other guy that he insisted that I work with as his shooter, as his partial designer. So I knew what the look was. It was this giant robot, almost like the uh, Transformers, and it was supposed to develop into this giant robot on the stage and it sparks and things are gonna explode and this and that and zapping. And I'm going, okay, you know, this can be done. We can make this happen. But the guy that was the creative guy he wimped out on it. He went with two small effects. There wasn't enough. And I'm looking, I'm going, I don't think this is going to look great. This is such a massive scale. We need to go 10 times this. Nope, no, nope, no. Nope. We got to do it this way. And I'm telling you, I'm the guy. You listen to me. And I'm going, all right, you're the guy then. You, you go ahead. I'm just going to do what you say and we'll set it up how you want and we'll, we'll shoot it how you want. So we did that. And it came time for the test with Fred Durst and everybody in front of house. And he hated it. He goes, what is this piece of shit, faggy pyro? Over the microphone. So he's all over the microphone. Everybody's in the audience. We make the changes. In his head already, he was angry. So he said, during the show, the live show. So the show's that night and we made some changes. And I don't even think he looked at the changes. He just saw a little spark that he didn't like. And he goes, who is this faggot fucking pyro guy? Over the PA with like 20,000 people. Saying stuff like that. And I'm going, Oh my God. I said, I am done. I'm out of here. I will not fucking work with this guy. What a clown. Wow. 
So production called me in and everything. And they said, you know, he's not happy. And I'm going, I don't give a fuck. I said, I'm out. I said, you want to work with this guy, this Tom guy that you said is going to be the guy, then work with him. My, our company will supply it, but I'm out. And I did, and I left. That guy, that same guy, Tom, so Fred Durst was never fucking happy, any show. So three shows in, Fred Durst chucks a microphone, an SM58 wireless microphone as hard as he could at Tom's head, who's side stage where I usually stand. Oh. It's Tom's there, right? Tom ducks, hits a girl in the face, oh, splatters her face, destroyed her face, like <sighs> majorly destroyed it. So it was a major lawsuit. Lawsuits, of course. Huge, huge right? lawsuit. Kind of went away. Yeah. A couple of million under the table. Yeah, all that usual, you know? yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much how it happened because Nasty. he was going to, that, that was going to go public. It never went public. Right. It got out there. This is before social media, right, all that shit, just before all changed, that. that. Or it would have destroyed everything. him. No question. It would have got out because there was enough people, the whole crew know, every, lots of people knew. We, everybody had to sign stuff and, you know, nobody could talk about it. But I've never got the, the over-the-top angry diva thing. I, I remember uh, shooting um, Crying Over You with Platinum Blonde. Mm -hmm. Mark Holmes was in the role of the superstar in Canada and playing that, that big pop star, you know, rock star role. And so I guess he felt he was supposed to be diva-ish. Which, by the way, he actually, I grew up with him. The, my first band, it was Mark Holmes and I were going to make a band. Okay. He was a really great artist. He drew, he drew great pictures. Did you have the blonde spiky hair I too? I had the blonde spiky hair too. <laughs> yes, I did. You can find those pictures online. Yeah. And um, so Mark went to the same school as me. He didn't have an English accent. I know that. He died. I know he, that. that he, but all of a sudden he's a rock star. Yeah. When, when did you start? Everybody said that, that oh, knew yeah. him. Never had any. I mean, he, he truly comes, his family's from England, mm -hmm. so he could do it perfectly. Sure. Yeah. But anyway, we're at the, the, the filming of Crying Over You. Not on the level of what you just described. <laughs> Typically, maybe this is a Canadian version. Yeah. <laughs> because he basically was got decided to get very upset that there was not a certain kind of yogurt on the craft services table. And he picked up one kind of yogurt and spoonfuled a little bit of it and then yelled at the top of the, what is this shit? I said I wanted blueberry and threw the cup of yogurt across the set, which hit the, the psych, which had just been freshly painted oh, for the no. scene and all. And, and you just like, you pissy ass, whiny little, like, what are you doing? You know, back that up against some of the people like, I mean, Sir Paul for one. And I'll remember another is Larry Gowan. You know, Gowan was fantastic, man. He just had you in stitches all day long. And this is like, you're hanging with your cousin and you're going to go have a beer, you know, good old Canadian boy, Larry Gowan, you know, and the differences between uh, just, you know, artists, artists, class. It's yeah, class. It's class. conversely, your greatest sort of most proudest moment within the role of special effects, not life, but just this will stick with rock and roll special effects where you just sat back and went, wow, this, you know, just for you, this was a big thing. Um, this, the Super Bowl that I did with Paul McCartney, wow. by the way, that's probably the biggest one that I, I went, holy shit, this is, you can't, how this do you is get amazing, bigger? yeah. I mean, I did the one previous to it with Shania, it was good, yeah. McCartney one blew it away. And then I did the one afterwards even with The Who, but it didn't have the same feel as the one with McCartney. And that was live, gonna be Live and Let Die then. That I was guess. Live and Let Die, yeah. It was a couple of tunes actually, we did a couple of extra things on it, it was yeah. good. It's a moment, I mean, you have to give it up to the artist's sensibility. Paul, I think is very right to have very minimal pyro throughout his entire concert, mm -hmm. because when it happens in Live and Let Die, you're out of your seat, yeah. you know? They, there's not you a- remember it. Oh, there's not a line he doesn't, there's not a smoke bomb or a flash pot that doesn't go off, that doesn't make you cheer. Yeah. Because, you know, and it's such a hitting- and it's all to time. It's yeah. perfectly timed. All the chases, everything. That, every single flute. Yeah. Spin or, yeah. All that. Every yeah. one of those little accents. 
Yeah, no, it's, it's a lot of fun doing it. The special effects play such a big role in the world of rock and roll. And yet I think it too often is relegated to, it's like an afterthought by bands sometimes. It's an afterthought in the eyes of the audience, but not when it's done well. When it's, they, it's like you're affected by it. You're blown away by it. You just don't realize it. You know, it's, it's just- the wow factor. It's the wow factor yeah. big time. But would your crowning achievement overall be TSO, Trans-Siberian Orchestra? Yeah, yes, absolutely. And I can tell you this next tour I'm designing right now with Brian Hartley is going to be mind-blowing. It's that's such an amazing orchestra to work with that you can, it's, it, again, it's a carte blanche thing, anything. Almost every song has got some special effect in it. It's either lasers or pyro or cryogenics or- fire or something or some kind of automation or robotics, but it's tastefully done. It's an extravaganza. It's tastefully an extravaganza. Done, yeah. Well, you know what? Hey, listen, if you don't think there should be anything bombastic in rock and roll, then you don't love rock and roll. I mean, when there's moments of it being bombastic, it has to be. It just has to be. That's what it is. And then there's other moments where it's all class and taste. You well, know? Paul O'Neill, who was the creator of TSO, he was an over-the-top guy. Uh, God rest his soul. He's just passed away a couple of years ago. He was, we were always like, okay, well, let's, let's save a little bit. No, give him it all now, <laughs> like right away. It's like the first half of the show, it's like, boom, assault right away. Like later on, it's, it's smoothed out and we massaged it. So it, it, it carried out, but he, he has that whole thing about, he's like, you know, assault them, assault their senses, right? Immediately. He's right. He is right. He was totally right. And that's what made TSO today as big as it is. Him and also, you know, Brian Hartley being so creative with it too. I was going to say, no reason to gloss over the name Brian Hartley and, yeah. you know, a genius lighting. Absolutely. Lighting, lighting director for sure. Phenomenal. Yeah. When you take on a show like that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm going to be excited to sit beside yeah, you again someday sure. backstage and see what, well, what's coming up Well, let's do a TSO this year. Yeah, uh, TSO for sure. Because yeah. I haven't seen that since your show with them like four five or five years ago. Years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, all right. Thanks. All right, my brother. Okay. Pleasure. Doug Adams took a childhood and young adult life steeped in street violence and the choices of multiple routes of life that could have very well led him into time in prison and transformed it all into a hugely successful professional career. His art, his martial arts discipline, and the love of his mother combined to be a powerful force strong enough to lead him into being a pioneer and inventor and a legend in the world of live stage special effects. If you have never gone to see Trans-Siberian Orchestra in concert, and I know 2020 wasn't the year to do it, but nonetheless, when concerts resume, it's one not to miss. Well, I mean, so long as you like loud rock and roll. But when you do experience that show, know that one man and a small consortium of trusted co-creators is responsible for the mind-blowing creativity unleashed through fire, water, lasers, lights, sparks, and explosions. Doug Adams. Specially affecting the sound of this podcast is Keith Ullman. We are a member of the Apostrophe Podcast Network, whose leader is at this very moment eating his heart out over the Paul McCartney story. Stick around, everyone. We'll figure this life out together. Oh, wait, hang on. My new series, Wild Harvest, is airing now on American Public Television. Check to see which station's signal reaches your area. And that includes, by the way, Canada. It's all about local foraging. I take you out and teach you what you can gather for a wild edible feast. A feast prepared by a five-star chef, Paul Rogalski. 
As well, head over to my YouTube channel, Survivor Man Les Stroud, where I'm uploading tons of free content weekly for you to enjoy, including archives, Survivor Man, Survivor Man Bigfoot, director's commentaries, and new music just to mention a bit of what's there. The secret, by the way, is to click on the playlists. Lastly, and in time for Christmas, the second printing of my 20th anniversary film collection, featuring 76 films, is available through my website, lesstroud.ca. Okay, thanks. Go ahead. What are you waiting for? Click on subscribe, and then click on something else. Or, go be productive. <laughs>